the Little Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. The first thing you notice when Katie O'Toole Smith walks in a room is her smile. She leads with joy. She's like a human sparkler. And the sparks are usually flying all over the place because Katie can't wait to tell you some inspirational story or share some moment that touched her heart. Or she's a bit frazzled because she's late again, because she packed <laughs> so much life and joy into every single day. Katie got sober at 16 when most people just start drinking. She had a baby at 21 and became a single parent. In time, she started her own business in a male-dominated industry, selling cars. Many know her as Katie the Car Lady. She takes the pressure and stress out of buying or leasing a car. She makes it her mission to educate consumers with tips on how to buy or lease through her articles in the Cleveland Jewish News, Cleveland Women's Journal, and on her podcast, Car Lady Talk. She's here today to talk about choosing joy, no matter what life chooses to give you. Katie, thanks for joining me. Hi, Regina. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your show. You're such a joyful person. And um, I just got to address the car. So you put me in my Subaru, which I love. You're like a matchmaker when it comes to cars. So like, I want a durability. I just want to go point A to point B, you know, drive over mountains if I want to. My husband (laughs) wanted luxury. My daughter wanted industrial strength for her three kids. And my son wanted economical, but classy. And you matched all of us. I do love my job. So how do you match people? Like, how do you find that car that matches that person? Well, I wish I had this perfect formula, but every single person stands alone. And it's about listening to someone. It's about, you know, kind of learning through my trials and errors over 26 years in the industry. But I really believe that it is because I always put the person first. I listen to the person. You know, I there's people out there that don't you measure how many cars you sell? I never measure how many cars I sell. It's never really about the car. It's about the person. And also, I believe if I do the right thing, then my business will grow. And that's what I love about you. I always tell people when they say, oh, I got to get a car. I go, oh, Katie will make it so much fun. <laughs> she puts the fun in I cars. do love, I do love it. I do love what I do. Well, I'm going to talk about these detours in your life. I'm just fascinated. You got sober at 16. Okay, most people don't even pick up their drink until around that time. So when, what age did you start drinking? A lot of people would say that. And I, I, it's true. I've heard many different stories over the years of what everybody's uh, stepping stones or travels are through their drinking. For me, I was 11. I was 11. And, you know, my dad, I can say this today, he, you know, cause he did get sober, but I never thought twice about it. I just picked it up and I always felt this, I always felt so broken. Like I just didn't fit. Like I was this puzzle piece and everybody else had their fit around them. And I didn't, I mean, I really literally felt like my brain thought differently. Everybody had some kind of manual. Everybody knew what the next right thing to do was. I didn't. And I felt like when I started drinking, I literally, it felt like alcohol filled in those cracks inside of me and made me feel whole. I mean, truly now today I get that through spirituality and a higher power, but really that's what it did. I heard somebody describe it. It's like if you swallowed an umbrella and it opened up and you finally felt like whole inside and full. And that's an incredible, I love that. Your dad was an alcoholic who stopped drinking. What made you quit, especially at 16? 
it's funny. I always say to people, you know, I drank and, and used for five years and people will say, oh my God, that's, you're so lucky. You get, you got here early. I didn't feel lucky. Whatever that time is that you come, but here's what I know. I know that when, by the time that I entered treatment, like I was either going to commit suicide, truly, I was either going to kill myself or I was going down a real bad path. There was a social worker who intervened in my life at Brush High School. God bless that school. Uh, she intervened and loved me more than I could love myself. And I really believe she was a stepping stone. But ask my mom if five years is a long time. You know I mean, she lived with me through that. Well, especially that young, I can't imagine how scary that must have been for your mom. Oh, yeah, I can't. She doesn't even talk. We don't even like talking about it. We, she, we, And that's my part of my amends is that I just don't talk about it. We talk about being in today. As a reporter, so. I never ask people if they're in Alcoholics Anonymous because this is a public format and I respect the traditions of AA, which yes. say that members are to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, and TV, which I think includes podcasts. But your dad got sober and was part of a community of recovering people. How did that, how did your dad's sobriety affect you? My dad, you know, his drinking affected me just as much as his sobriety. And I, he was the person that I said, I never want to be like him. And I became just like him. I mean, him and I were like, our brains were exactly the same, even though our drinking was so different. But when my dad got sober, I watched him change the footprint he left on this earth through recovery. And he could finish my sentences it was like our brains were the same. He got sober in 1984. And then I got sober in 1987. And I will tell you, he really connected me into that community. And he just had a group of people that loved me so much. But I watched my dad literally change as a human and become one of the most loving, caring, helpful people and of service that he was my hero. I love that. I love that he would tell you, God kissed me on the forehead and gave me another day. What a great attitude to have have toward life every day to wake up like that. He used to always say, I'd say, dad, how are you doing today? He'd say, oh my gosh, God has given me so much. I need another arm. He was just (laughs) so great. And, and he also would put me in my place when my gratitude was, was uh, getting off key a little bit. And when he passed away, God rest his soul there were lines out the door, lines out the door of people would tell me your dad changed my life. They gave me little isms that he said, your dad kissed me on the forehead, uh, or your dad told me that, or he would share with me. I had a guy come up to me and say, your dad, he worked at a hospital. He used to always say, there's a fine line between the person working there and the patients. But this guy came to me and he said, I just want to tell you, your dad sat with me the first night when I couldn't sleep. I was detoxing and your dad sat up with me and read the book with me. And I get to continue to hear those stories. But you know what? He was an example. He was such an example. He used to always say, show me, don't tell me. And he showed me. That's beautiful. Kate, I want to talk about, you had a baby at 21. I got, I had a baby at 21 too, wasn't married, similar to you. And uh, we did it in a time where it wasn't kind of a fashionable, kind of cool hip thing. Nowadays, every movie star has, you know, kids out of wedlock and it isn't even called out of wedlock. But back then there was a lot of shame. And I wonder for you, what was that like to make that decision that I'm going to have this baby, I'm going to be a single parent? I was terrified. I was terrified. I was in a uh, interracial relationship, which was not thought of highly in the Irish Catholic world at that time. My father literally told me, he said, um, you have no right to bring this child into this world. 
by the way, she changed him. She changed him. And I was terrified. And the man that I was with, who we both met when we were sober, and then he drank. So that was volatile. But he's, he was adopted. And he said, if you give this child up for adoption, I will never forgive you. And I thought, oh, my God, what do I do? And I just didn't know. And I did love this man. As much as we were not meant to be together, I loved him. But I was terrified. And I ne- never knew what to do. And my mother said to me, if you have this child, you can never come back home. Oh and so gosh, because I that am. would be part black. Because well, it, it was more of she didn't want me. I was dropping out of college. Oh, I see. And she said, I'm not supporting this baby. My mother never had an issue with the fact that Brittany was biracial. Never. It was like getting more on my father's side. Right. Oh. It was, yeah. It, that Irish Catholic man. So you got no support. You're 21 and like neither parents big on this. No, no. Oh. And I mean, I will say this. There was a community of people who really wrapped around me. But on the other part of this, I was also very much into a, a, a sick relationship. So here I am in this sick relationship with this man that is not connected at all. And um, and I'm flailing. I'm flailing. I'm hurting. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I can't love myself, let alone love another person. I'm, I'm sober. I'm not drinking. And thank God, I want to share this really quickly because the day that my father came into the hospital, I had Brittany. She was a C-section. She was late. <laughs> Surprise. And uh, <laughs> my father held her and I watched him change in front of my eyes. And I always say, I say this, to, I get choked up a little bit because I always say to Brittany, I said, you know, you came into this world and you had so much more to do than just come into this world. You know, she's, um, yeah, she's a cycle breaker and, and she's an, she's an amazing, uh, actor and singer, beautiful oh, yeah. voice. I want to talk a little bit about, so you raised a daughter alone, but she's also an, an African-American child who you have no idea. I mean, I look at you, you're sort of the lily white blonde hair, you know, so how do you as a parent help her to grow up as a black woman? So it's so funny. You t- not funny, ironic, funny. I mean, So I do want to say this. My mother did help me raise my daughter. She was so good. And she really took Brittany and I under her wing. But I will say that I didn't know. I just was raising a baby. I didn't even think about it that way. And I'll tell you, it's very interesting in these times, right? We have a lot of, we're all waking up. Our spirits are being awakened by so many different things. And Brittany and I were talking one day and I said to her, and I kind of went to tears and I said, I'm so sorry I didn't raise you as a black woman. I'm so sorry. She said, mom, you raised me as a good person. But what she's finding is her voice in the black community now. And I'm so proud of her. And she's teaching me how to do that as well. She said to me, she said, mom, you being white is a superpower. People will listen, you know? So people don't always see that, right? They think, oh, you know, but she's really teaching me how to use my voice. And, um, I remember saying to myself, I don't see color. I don't see color. And she says, mom, you need to see color and you need to honor it. And so that's what I'm starting to do. And that's not just, that's any non-white person. Right. I listened to the interview of of her on the podcast and I was blown away. One in her twenties to have such power of spirit to speak her truth, Mm -hmm. but to really hear her talk about what it is like to be a black person in this country. And I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm I'm just waking up to all of this. I mean, I think that that's part of white privilege is we could afford to just keep moving and not really care. 
and and thank goodness we're many more of us are waking up. So I'm glad that she's sharing her voice out there. Yes. And people think white privilege has to do with economics. And I want to, it's really important for me to say this. It has nothing to do with economics. It has to do with our skin is white. And I know when I say that people get this uncomfortable feeling, keep talking about it, even though it's uncomfortable, because it is helping our country continue to move forward. I totally agree. Well, we are already at the halfway mark. So I want to pause and thank you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Katie, the car lady, Katie O'Toole-Smith. I may have many podcast choices and I'm grateful you chose to listen to mine. Katie, we could talk all day about your kids, your three daughters, your husband, your life. But I want to kind of move into the, the car business. The car business, most people when they think of car salesmen, the words that come up are pushy, shark, ripoff, dishonest. I mean, I, I felt bad that that has been kind of the label put on so many good people out there selling cars. Why did you choose to go into this line of work? So again, we're going to go back to being a single mom and not wanting to get caught in the system. Here I am, that single mom with a biracial child. I mean, that was there was a stigma to that. Right. And I said, I don't want to get caught in the system. And this guy offered me a job answering phones uh, in his leasing company. And so I took it. And I thought I was, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I'm getting paid. I'm going to be able to pay my bills. And when I say getting paid, it was just by the skin of my teeth getting by. But here I am a single mom and I started to learn. I started to learn and I've learned over 26 years, but here's what I realized. There was a gap between a consumer need and an advocacy in this industry. And there was no advocacy in the industry and it was so male dominated. And there was this also group of women who were business women and they're smart and they're controlling the money in the household and they want to be educated. They don't want to be talked down to. There's also that group of what I call my seniors that still want to be empowered to do business on a handshake, but you can't really do that in this world. And so it's kind of evolved. And I just started learning every single thing I could about the industry and realized there was a need and I could fill it. So what do you love most about it? I mean, you know, most people, when you buy a car, it's exciting. You got that new car smell, which is probably some terrible chemical you shouldn't be breathing, but it's so <laughs> probably, you know, so there's a business in there somewhere. There is somewhere there. Somebody sprays new car scent or whatever. But, you know, when you get a car, it's fun. You know, when you get the keys, it's the process that's oh, kind of can be painful. But what do you love about it, of that process? Because you go through it all the time, every day, every week. Every I week. love helping people connect dots. I love when people say, oh my gosh, I can do that. I have choices or, oh my gosh, I never knew that you, that was the way that a lease was figured, or I never knew there was a cost here and a cost there. It's empowerment of people. And when they say, oh my gosh, you helped me so much. That is like, or you helped me see it differently. That's what I love most. Truly. Well, and I love your honesty. I had uh, talked to you a while ago about getting seat covers because my grandkids have kind of destroyed the backseat of my Subaru. <laughs> And you were, you did some looking, you said, you know what, it would be cheaper to get them online than to go through the company. And I thought, who, who helps somebody do that to save money that they're not going to benefit? I don't know. You just always have done the right thing. And I hope that right comes back to you, those right consequences of being good in the world. Well, I will tell you that being sober has taught me how to do things differently. There was a time when I don't know that I would have made those choices, right? That has allowed me to change. And people... I don't even know how to put it into words, but yes, when I do these things for people, 
I, I don't go out there and do big advertisement that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And that's what it costs. Just so you know, when you see all those ads, people give me reviews, they share it on social media, they they share with their friends and it keeps my business growing. My business has grown amazingly and it's not all about the dollar. It is about people saying, you helped me. Oh my gosh, go talk to her. You may not need to get a car right now. Maybe she's going to tell you to stay put. And I will do that with people. <laughs> the guy I work with, he always says, why do you stay on the phone so long? I said, because <laughs> I feel like I can't let them off the phone until I make sure that they're okay. So it's one of the best and worst things, I think. One of, I shouldn't say worst, but, you know, can be a great thing and a not so great thing staying on the phone for 30 minutes to 45 minutes with somebody. I love it. I know you love it. So I want to move from talking about your career job to your kind of mission job. You're all about love and service. You help the community. Your passion is to really help women who want to get sober. You work with Edna House. Tell us what that is. So the Edna House for women, I've been active, uh, First, you're right. I love to help other women. When I was getting sober, there was a house called New Directions and it, it was a sliding scale and it allowed my mom to pay for me to get treatment. And so I just want to say that that is really, really important to me when it's by the community and for the community. And so I chose Edna House. So Edna House for Women is a sober living house in Cleveland that they, for operational costs, they take no government money. And so just like 47 beds, we just purchased the school next to us. We're starting to make us so women can stay longer because we're finding that in the opioid crisis and in getting sober, that 30 days doesn't cut it. And so first of all, here's what I want to say about these women. These women show up for the community. I mean, I've met them. I go see them. They have to follow rules, but here's, it's, it's this community. We had this drive up fundraiser recently. And the people that showed up and said, oh my God, you saved my daughter's life. Oh my God, I would do anything for Edna. Oh my God. But they provide women who come in to get sober, a safe place, whether they have money or not. They have a bed, they get them off the streets. And um, it's just a beautiful, very, very special place. It's actually in an old convent. I think that's pretty cool. We always say there's angels living in the walls. Oh, that's beautiful. But I do love that because I believe if we're of service in our community and, you know, for people out there, if you're listening, maybe the Edna house is something that drives you and that's awesome. And maybe there's something else that's your passion, but I think it's so important to find what your passion is and be of service. And I think that's the key. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I should volunteer somewhere. I should donate. But to me, you find where you joyfully want to do it. You want to give your time. You want to give your energy, your money, whatever. There's like a joy attached to it. And you have this joy attached to helping broken women. Well, I heard somebody say that those cracks inside of us are the way God's light gets in. Because if I look at my life, every single time I had a detour, like you say, every single time I had a detour, someone was there to help me. Some woman was there to help me. And so because of that, it's, it's, I feel a responsibility to help others. I've heard people say, I didn't find the light. God came crashing through my darkness. Yes. Sometimes I love we that. don't have That's any effort left to even seek, but, but God will find us. Well, and it's funny, my dad, God rest his soul. He would say things like, you know, his, his guys he worked with would say, what do I do? Oh my gosh. You know, I don't know where God lives. I don't know where to find God. I don't know. And he'd say, that's okay. God knows where you live and God knows where you are. But I always thought that was so funny. They'd say, what, what do I do? Who do I pray to? Oh my God, I don't know what to do. He's like, that's all right. 
God already knows where you are. And there's a woman who I adore and she say, she'd say to me, I'd say, oh my gosh, you're so, I look at these women and I was enamored. So when we see women that we admire or we love, like you're one of those people in my life. And, and she would say, you see it in me because it's already in you. And I love that. That's beautiful. Katie, I want to talk about, you give away a lot of joy. How do you get filled back up? Like, tell us about your morning routine. How do you start your day? the most precious time of my day. I never used to have a routine because life was always like I was raising kids and I, everything was always so busy and I would jump out of the gate and go, but I have a very special uh, morning routine. When I wake up in the morning, my eyes open before my feet touch the ground. I say, good morning. And I choose joy, no matter what's going on. I choose joy. And then from there, I, you know, I have my quiet, oh my gosh, coffee and quiet time is my favorite. Anybody that knows me, and I love to look out, I have this window in my TV room, it's like a French door, and I look out and I just say, hi, Mother Nature, I see you, no matter what's going on. Because I think that for me, it's so important to acknowledge that we just have so much going on in our world, right? So much divisiveness and so much. So I want to be part of seeing the beauty and the joy that's all around us every day. And you live in Northeast Ohio where mother nature isn't always a gentle mother. So to speak. Yes, that's true. But, but she has been the last few weeks cause it's fall. Oh yeah. But it's always interesting. I, I it's always, it always is interesting. And one day in Cleveland, it could, it could be, you could start the day at 75. By the time the day's over, it's like 12. You have rain, sleet, snow. Oh my gosh. Right. Like I'll go bundled up to work and then I'd have half my clothes off by the end of the day because it started out of 40 you know, and I was excited to pull out my sweaters and then by <laughs> pulling clothes off by the end of the day, because it's so, it is always an adventure here with our weather. That's for sure. And that's one reason I love my car because my Subaru, the whole back, I have this container that has like my snow shovel, my brush that I keep in there like all year. I have in assorted flashlights, flares, blankets, like you just never know what you're going to get here. So you got to listen, be I'll never forget the day we were at Panera and you opened up your thing. I'm like, what is this? You're like, survival, this girl. Is ready for anything kit. I'm like, yeah, I even keep a jar of peanuts and I keep an old coffee can and a candle and matches. I heard that if you have a, a candle inside of a, uh, a metal can, it can keep you warm in your car for 24 hours. I've never, ever used it in my <laughs> years of life, but I am ready, girl. <laughs> If I ever get stranded, I want it to be with you. I'm just saying. Got it, girl. There's something about that being prepared. Because once you're prepared, like you're okay with whatever happens. And I think that's what you learn too in that kind of sober way of living. And as a single parent, like you're it. There's nobody to say, hey, get the spider out of the tub. You're the, you're the that's right. Keeper, you know? That's right. And when your kid needs to go to the emergency room or when you have to call up when your kid's home sick, it's so funny. You, I think you will appreciate this and you'll find this hilarious. So my daughters have been coming home because a lot's going on in this crazy world, right? And so the other day I walked downstairs. Now we were empty nesters for five minutes. So any of you out there that are empty nesters, just be prepared because here's what happens. We're we'll long. <laughs> I walked downstairs. There is paper on the floor and LaCroix cans and all this. I said, oh, and this is what my daughter says. Aren't you grateful to have all your kids under one roof? <laughs> They've learned they from must. you. They're using it against you. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know what? I'm grateful I have a home my kids want to come home to. And they love to bust my chops constantly. But 
So Katie, how do you end the day? You start with all this joy, your joy meter is like, wow. But by the end of the day, are you like bankrupt? Well, there's a couple things that have to happen. My dad, I always talk about my dad because he, I always feel him inside of me. And I always say, God, when I pray, I say, dad, let your voice, let me hear your voice on where I'm going here. But he would say, all of us have a cup inside of us. Now you can picture that cup however you want, but that cup has to be full. And then we give away the overflow. If we don't have it full, we're depleting ourselves. And so obviously in the morning, I do that. I talk, I have a posse of women. I call my posse and we, and Emma say, everybody needs to have a posse. Everybody, they could be two people, they could be five people, but you have to have a posse because they don't say if stuff's going to happen, when stuff's going to happen. And those are the people that I check in with and we fill each other and we laugh and we joke and even through COVID, right? And then at the end of the day, where most people work out in the morning, I get on the treadmill and I watch whatever I'm binging when I'm walking on the treadmill and doing my little workout that always helps me. And I really fall into bed and I just really thank the universe and thank my higher power for a day, for another day, and whatever is good. There was something about that. I, I pretty much start the day the same way. Before I even get out of bed, I give thanks for another day of life, and I surrender the day. Plan A is whatever God wants, whatever happens. Plan B is what I have on my giant to-do list. That's right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, it's like, I think I know what's going to happen today. Uh, you know, what is that? God? We plan God laughs, I've heard. Yes. I yes. think God smiles like, honey, it's going to be even better. Because I don't yeah. think it is this or something better. It's not, I, you know, yep. you get punished. People say, watch what you pray for. You might get it. I, I don't have that kind of God. What kind of God do you have? Thanks to you, Regina, who has been so such a mentor and a teacher to me. You have taught me how to have an intimacy with God. You know, I always had a God, but you said, you know what? If your God doesn't isn't big enough, if your God isn't this, you can get a new God. And I thought, really? You can do that? You know, and you said, yes, you could do that. And and when everything was hitting the fan and my dad was dying and I felt so just misguided, whatever, you said God is big enough. And I think then I really started to become intimate. And I and, and intimacy can mean different things to different people, but my God loves everybody. I share my God. When I meet women who are struggling, I'm like, listen, my God's got you. You pray to my God. And I just have a very all loving God. My God doesn't exclude is always inclusive. My God, you know, yes, lets us learn. But I I just my God is just a very loving, kind, you know, walk us through shoulder to shoulder kind of God. I love that. I have a friend, Brian, who says, uh, instead of telling God how big your problems are, tell your problems how big your God is. I love that. That's so great. It reminds me of the movie Jaws when they realize how big the, the shark is. They go, you need a bigger boat. I always say, you're going to need a bigger God. You got a big problem. You need a bigger God. Go find I love that. Problem. I don't know how many things that you've shared with me about your God and your spirituality that I've shared with other people. And isn't that the magic? I mean, you somebody gives it to you and you share it with someone else and then they share it and they share it. And kind of like that, if, you, if anybody, I don't know hold people out for that Fabergé commercial years and years and years and so on and so on and so on. <laughs> That's too funny. You know, it's interesting, the whole idea of God. I was on a retreat in mm-hmm. uh, in Genesee in uh, New York and the monks read this book of Psalms. And in one of the mm-hmm. Psalms, it said, and I will come to the altar of God, the God of my joy. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, that's the God I want is a God of joy. Yeah. And I had that, but I just, 
it was covered up with a lot of the Baltimore catechism. You're black when you sin, your soul's black when you sin and God's the boogeyman. And you got to kind of like walk through this minefield to get God to love you. And a God of joy who celebrates you as is. And that's kind of why I they see that. you. You live that joy. You really live that joy every day, Katie. I love that you shared that because I feel the same way. My God is, a, and, and I'm like you. I mean, I grew up with that, with a God of, that just, was a punishing God. And and for some people, I, whatever your God is works for you. That's great. But when I had my daughter and I was out of wedlock, I thought, oh my God, what am I do? She's a sin. Like that's how I was raised. Right. And now I know she's the greatest gift. That was one of the greatest gifts ever given to me. So got my, like you said, I was able to connect to a God of joy and love. I feel the same way about my daughter. When I had her at 21, I remember thinking before while I was pregnant saying, okay, God, I'll never do this again. Just make me not be pregnant. You know, that prayer, <laughs> prayer you pray in the bathroom stall in the bar, like, please give me a ride home. I'll never do this again. Please make us right? pregnant. God, you know, the give me, give me prayers. Mm-hmm. And I look back, oh my God, greatest gift in my life. My daughter, she's 42 now. And I would have prayed her away if I could have. And thank God I couldn't have. Like, I think sometimes the gifts we get, they don't come often in what we see as a gift, but in time, they unfold as these incredible gifts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I couldn't have even put into words the kid, the joy that my kids have given to me, but you know, Brittany and I grew up together. We grew up together and um, you know, I was raising her and I remember she was raising you. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's right. Now, now I feel like she is, (laughs) Um, she's 28 now, but you know, I, I remember days sitting on my bed, bed crying saying I see why moms get in their car and drive very far away (laughs) like and now people like Ro that we knew a spiritual woman who would say you know what you can do hard it's okay you'll be all right just keep putting you know and our kids guide us they're beacons that God give us gives us I think they are. Well, Katie, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing Gosh, your thank joy. You so much. Tell us the best way to connect with you on your website, social media. What's the best way people can find you? Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Um, and the best way to find me is on social media. I'm always around. So Katie, the car lady um, on social media, which is Instagram or Facebook, Katie O'Toole Smith on Facebook. And I have a website, uh, katiethecarlady.com. If you ever have questions, I always tell people, don't be afraid to ask questions. I will always answer it. It may or may not be the answer you want to hear, but I will always share what I know to the best of my ability. You know, I always, again, I love to help people. Well, Katie, I want to thank you. Um, My biggest takeaway today is that cup. I can't give away what's not in my cup. I've got to keep my cup filled. So the goal is to be on empty at the end of the day, but I can't start the day empty. I got nothing to give. Nope. Thank you. Nope. Katie, let's close to your answer to this question. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? My first thing is I choose joy. I choose joy every day. And that is um, one of the best things that I do. I try to bring love to every situation. How can I serve here? I spend so much time being you know, resentful because things weren't going my way. And so now every time before I walk into a situation, I say, how can I serve here? How do I bring love into this situation? And you know what else? There's no big deals. Life is short. There's no big deals. We just got to learn to take it and pause, pause, because 
that's where God is in that, in our moment right here. Be where my feet are. Sherry always, my friend, Sherry always tells me that she says, be where your feet are. What time is it? Where are you? That's the only place you can be right now. And those are things that help me just stay in this moment where we all are present right now, right here with you. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. And again, I appreciate your time sharing today. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.